going through a series on uh, stories of honor, and we're looking at biblical characters who lived honorably. And so we thought it might be interesting to look at a father and how, from the Bible and how he lived an honorable life. So we're looking at the life of Joseph, Jesus's father, uh, not his biological father. Uh, I don't even know if you could call him his spiritual father, but his father nevertheless. And we thought it might be interesting to look at the life of Joseph and what made him an honorable man in general and an honorable father in particular. And so we're going to be looking at some, uh, some verses to that regard, but let's pray to begin with. Father, I thank you so much that uh, far above all else, you're our Heavenly Father. And for those of us here who feel estranged from our earthly father or don't know our earthly father, I thank you that you make up for all that and that you come and present yourself as a loving, supportive, everlasting father. And so it's to you that we find our identity, we find our comfort and our strength and our hope. And I pray that through this sermon, we would come to know and trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, if you look at the New Testament and the four books of the Bible that describe the life of Jesus, uh, there's only a few uh, verses that talk about Joseph, Jesus' father. There's a few that describe him as, uh, you know, the lineage of Jesus, and Joseph, of course, is in that lineage. But there's only really three main verses that describe anything about who Joseph is. And so we're going to read those verses and then make three comments on them. This is all taken from the book of Matthew. The first one is in Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. It says, Joseph... Mary's husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now, what's going on here is that uh, he found out that his wife-to-be was pregnant. And in that kind of culture, being, uh, you know, being pregnant out of wedlock was an absolute disgrace. And so he's already engaged to her and so wants to treat her honorably. And so the best thing that could be done in that culture is kind of to send her away secretly until she had the child. But uh, so that was his plan. But then comes this sentence that's repeated three times in regard to the life of Joseph. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. That's going to be said three times saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It's not a disgrace. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, not from another man. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So this is, first of all, to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. But uh, more than that, we see the dignity of Joseph doing exactly what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. 
culminating in giving his, uh, the name of his son, Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 2, again this phrase, And an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child Jesus and his mother Mary and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod, who is the king at that time, is going to search for the child to destroy him. It's a remarkable thing that all the children, Jesus' age, in Israel were all slaughtered because Herod knew that there was a new king being born and he was jealous of that and so killed all of the children. But because the angel of the Lord gave them a warning, they escaped to Egypt. But all the other children were killed. Horrible. So Jesus, so Joseph rather, got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. So an angel of the Lord tells him to do something, he goes and does it. And finally, in chapter 2, verse 19 to 21, when Herod the king died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Now, these verses that you see are the only verses that describe what the father of Jesus was like. These are the only three verses. And in all three verses, we see this repetition of uh, three times an angel speaks, and then three times he fully obeys what the angel says to do. So what's Joseph's honor? What's his dignity as a father? Is he listens and obeys his father in heaven. That is uh, his only distinguishing feature as a father, is that he hears his father and fully obeys what his father says to do. Now, uh, because of my job and I like reading books, I've read a lot of books on parenting and on being a father. And to be honest with you, I can't remember one book that summarizes what a great father is by saying one thing, that they do what God says. They listen and do what God says, and that's all that's going on. The expectations that fathers have is absolutely remarkable. And I read these books, and I just get discouraged because I just am never good enough to be any of the fathers that are described in these books. I don't know what the criteria is for writing a book on fatherhood, but you've got to be, like, amazing. And you, you, you know, you pray with your kids every night, you play super creative games, and then you take them out in the woods and say something that you wrote when they were still a baby, and then you gave it to them on that special day in the woods when you were just alone with them, and then a bear came and you rescued them from the bear. Like it just goes on and on about how incredible these fathers are. And I'm reading these books and I'm going, oh God, I don't do that. I've never met a bear and I going outside is, I don't know, smelly and uncomfortable. Anyways, I don't do any of those things. And it's discouraging. And if you, uh, if you are a, a biological father, if you're a, kind of a spiritual father that, you know, it's not 
I don't think quite as bad, but if you're a biological father and you look at all the other fathers, it's just sad. Because you go, wow, they're really good at that, and they're really good at that, and I've never even thought of that. And you just go through, and you can have all these expectations of what a godly father should be, and we seldom meet all those expectations. Furthermore, all of you here, I'm pretty sure, have had a dad. You wouldn't be here. And I bet your dad didn't meet all of your expectations, right? That you, you think of what you hoped your dad would be, and you go, no, 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 well, maybe, no. And you go through the list, and it's easy in our day and age to have a list of disappointments. When I read the Bible, the primary way that the Bible tells us to relate to our parents is to honor them. Yet, when I talk to most people, the primary way that they relate to their parents, especially their father, it has nothing to do with honor. It has everything to do with forgiving them and just being disappointed in our fathers. What do we do with that? But according to the life of Joseph as recorded in the Bible, a good father is one who listens to and obeys his father. That's the criteria. That's the thing that above everything else really, really matters. In other words, the primary qualification of being a good dad is to be a good son. To be a son who honors your father and somehow that translates into being honored by your children. We can see in the life of Joseph that he had this habit of being a good son. Even before an angel of the Lord visited him, he knew what to do if his wife-to-be was unfaithful. And he was a righteous man, and he lived according to the law and righteousness of that day. This is a man who understood how to follow and be responsive to his father and to the elders in the city. And he had that pattern in his life so that when God spoke to him, he knew exactly what to do. He knew to obey and to do what was told him. Uh, fathers, and I'm sorry again on these days when it's Mother's Day and Father's Day, I understand how exclusive this is and it's awkward. But I think that there's lessons for all of us. But Father, there's only one thing I think that God asks of you above all else. And it's to know how to be a son to your father in heaven. And if you can figure that relationship out, you'll be a fine dad. You may never go backpacking. You may never have incredibly wise words or you already missed the moment when you should have written the note when they were first born. You might have missed all of that. But if you are someone who's trying to have a healthy relationship with your heavenly father, I can almost guarantee that that's going to be echoed in your relationship with your kids. One of the uh, things that is so concerning to me is that in our society is that when we want to have a healthy relationship with somebody, we think that it's only about the horizontal relationship between us and that other person. And we miss that there's a dynamic 
that goes between, uh, between God and down to them. And we miss that triangle, and we just think that we always need to be working on it this way. I found in my relationship with my kids that I start to grow distant from them, and they grow distant from me when I'm not close to my Father in heaven. And as I draw near to him and learn how to be a son and be responsive to him and walk with him, I find that I walk in a healthier relationship with my children. It's really quite miraculous, and it barely makes any sense to me, but I discover it to be true over and over again. If you struggle in your relationship with your parents, or as parents, if you struggle in relationship with your kids, press into Jesus and understand what it means to be a son. And in that context, you'll know what to do when it's time to relate to your kids or to your parents, as it were. So the honorable thing about Jesus, about Joseph, is that he knew how to be responsive to his father in heaven. That's point number one. Point number two, asking the question, when then does Joseph's father speak to him? When do they have this relationship that's so meaningful? Well, in every instance, it's Joseph sleeping and he's having a dream. Every single time, the way that God chooses to speak to a son is through a dream. Uh, there's two primary Josephs in the Bible. The Joseph that is uh, Jesus' father, not biological, and Joseph back in the book of Genesis. And both Josephs are known for having dreams. I would venture to say this, that we will struggle to know how to be a spiritual or a natural father unless we learn how to dream. I think that there is something that has been lost in leadership in general and fathering in particular is that we don't know how to dream. Um, I think when I, when I think about Debbie, the primary thing that, and I've told you this before because she tells me this so many times, she says, Greg, what I need from you is I need from you vision. I need context. As far as I can tell, Debbie is better at doing everything in our home, as far as I can tell. But the thing that she needs from me is she needs a dream. She needs a place to go And I don't know if men know how to dream anymore. When I, when I, I listen to men being parents, I listen to them doing two things. I listen to them working to make money to provide for their children. Super great. And I listen to them playing with their kids. I think that's... After you finish working, that's the primary thing that fathers do these days, is you got to play with your kids. Got to learn how to wrestle with them, never very good at that. Uh, you need to play Lego with them, and you, you, know, you need to do those kinds of things. 
and especially because if the wife is at home, she's been exhausted, and so it's here, take the baby, and then you just play. And so I think that, that, that fathers get that they should work, and they get that they should play. I don't know that I've heard any father say that I'm responsible to dream. I've never heard a father say that. Yet I think that what fathers uniquely contribute to a home is a dream from their father that they pass on to their kids. It's a dream. Uh, those of you who don't know, my father died when I was a teenager. I don't remember having a relationship with him at all. I, uh, but I, there is imprinted on my life a dream. My father, and these are, these are mostly stories that I'm told, because I, I don't really know much about him, but something was imprinted on me with me barely knowing my dad. And uh, my dad was involved in the union. We had a four by eight sheet of plywood in our front yard every election that said NDP. And, uh, and he, was, he was a strong, strongly involved in the union. And the reason why, this is 50 years ago, the reason why he was so involved in the union is because he looked at how uh, employees were being treated and he wanted to give them a better way of life. There's something in my dad that always looked for the person who was down and out or mistreated or there was injustice and he wanted to do something about that. It wasn't so much a political ideology, it was a care for the poor and the needy and, the, and those who were mistreated. And then I remember us taking into our home a lot of foster kids. And then I remember taking into our home people who just had nowhere else to stay and they would live with us. And he never ever told me about those things. I have no, no conversation with my father, none. Yet imprinted on me is his dream. And his dream was that he would be a man and that he would raise a family that would care for the outsider. And I've, I, I can't shake that. If, uh, and so just pardon me for being judgmental, just for a moment. But if somebody new comes into our church and they're looking well put together, I find it interesting and I'll say hello. But if I know that they're struggling, my heart is immediately toward that person. And I want to take them out and be their friend and see how they're doing. I can't help myself. That's my dad. That's my dad's dream. Uh, fathers, that's what you're giving away to your kids. God bless you for paying for school, if you can manage to do that. God bless you for that. And I'm sure that they love playing Duplo with you. I really am. And I'm not being sarcastic. I mean that. But what they're going to remember is who you are and what you stand for. And I don't know if men work on that much these days. I don't know if they do. But I would venture to say it's the most valuable thing that you can give to your children. 
If you do not have biological children, I would venture to say that it's the most important thing that you can do in discipleship. I, uh, uh, when I meet with people, what I mostly am doing is dreaming with them. I'm just dreaming about the kingdom of God and about what's going on in the city, what's going on in the nations, and it's dreaming. It's what I do. And uh, I'll leave meeting with people, and I've met with some of you, and you, I think you know this to be true, and I didn't say anything helpful to you. I didn't give you any advice. I didn't say, well, when I was young, this is what I did. I might have done that, but I'm barely thinking about that. It kind of doesn't mean much to me. But we dreamt together. I got to listen to your life, and we got to try to hear what the Spirit of God was saying about your life. That's valuable to me, even if no concrete advice was ever shared. When I, I'll just pick on Jonathan because he's the oldest, but it's true for all of my kids. Um, uh, Jonathan and I will go out for a bike ride, or we'll, uh, we'll eat, or we'll just sit in the living room. And do you know what he and I mostly do? We dream, right? It's what we mostly do. And he tells me, he knows way more people than I do. He tells me about all the cool things that are going on in the city, and we dream about it. And we just dream. That's how we connect. I can say the same is true for Tyler. We just dream together. And I love listening to Tyler's heart, and he asks me questions about mine, and we dream together. Same with Toby, and it goes on down. The older they get, the easier it is. The younger one's not so interested in dreaming just yet. It's more on the playing side. That's okay, though. It's fun, too. What is, uh, what is dreaming? Where, does it, where, where is the, the, the genesis or the, or the heart of a dream? I would say that it's in prayer. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, there's only one instruction in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 is about telling women what to do and men what to do. And there's only one instruction that is uniquely given to men. Isn't this interesting? So you should listen, right? Only one instruction. And it says this, I want, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. And it says, and don't be angry, because men have anger problems often. But I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. Men should be known for praying. Now, what I think that prayer is about here is not, uh, you know, God bless Jonathan and Toby and Eunice. It's not about God bless and, and please, you know, help it go, my day go well. For me, could you please hear this? This is so important. I know it sounds airy-fairy, but it's so important to me. For me, prayer is primarily about dreaming with my father. That's mo if you were to look at my prayer life, it is, it is not a list of requests. I have some requests, but most of my time in prayer is not about requests. It's about dreaming with my father. And my father tells me what's on his heart. I, I, I read the Bible and I meditate and I mostly ask the question when I read the Bible is, why'd you write that? Like, why'd you bother putting that in? That seems weird. I never would have put that in. If I only had this many words to say, I wouldn't have put in that sentence. It seemed like a waste. And then I listen to his dream 
about the Bible and about why he said what he said when he said it. And I find my life changing as I listen to my father's dreams. And then his dreams become my dreams. And my dreams become my children's dreams. And then the world changes. But it's birthed in dreaming with my father. I pray with him. When I'm riding my bicycle, I'm just enjoying the presence of my father. When I'm lying on my bed, I'm just with my father. And, he, and I tell him how I feel about him. And I sense his nearness. And there are times, it's not always, but there are times when there's so much joy inside of me, I almost get emotional. That's a joke, if you know me. Because I'm, I'm with him, and I, and I sense his heart. Men, do you do that? Do you pray in a way that's about dreaming? I would venture to say, looking at the life of Joseph, this is our primary job description, supported by 1 Timothy, that men should be known for their prayer. And that prayer has something to do with dreaming, knowing the heart of the Father, and then doing something about it. The fact is, if we don't respond to God's dreams, we'll react to life's details. And what I mean by this is if we don't have an overarching dream, most of our life is spent looking right here. Not looking up here, looking right here. What's next? What, do I, what needs to be cleaned? What needs to be fixed? How can I get a raise? What's, uh, what's wrong with my children? How can I make more money? Like, it's just, it's all right here, and it's about the details of life. One of the greatest concerns that I have with middle-aged men is they have no friends. The older you get as a man, the fewer friends that you will have. And if you're married as an older man, what you'll always say, and I hear it every time, and people are super proud of this, and I, I guess they should be, but they'll always say, my wife is my best friend. Now, I think my wife is my best friend. But she is not a replacement for male friendships. I need to get together with men and dream and pray. And there's no replacement for that. I can't ask more from my wife. She's amazing. But I need that in my life. Or I can't lead anyone because I don't know where I'm going. There's nothing in my heart that's orienting me to what needs to be done. God bless you for doing all the details, but we need something bigger than this, men, if we're to lead and love our families well. And finally, how do we dream? So the call is to have a son, father-son relationship with God, and that primarily looks like dreaming. How do we dream more? Now, I've already said 
that work and play are great. I'm not, I mean, it's a good idea to work. And it's a good idea to play with your kids. It really is. But men must learn to value rest. Now, uh, when did the dreams of Joseph happen? When he's sleeping. Again, this is how I, I'm just, if it doesn't fit you, you just, it doesn't have to fit you. But this is what I see about how men live, is they work, 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 and then they, they don't rest. Then they play, play, play. And then they work, work, and then they, and, and it's work and play, work and play. And I, I, I look at how at least Canadian families go on vacation. And it's exhausting. Have you ever gone on a Canadian vacation? It's exhausting. Because you are packing that sucker up with everything that you can possibly afford. And you're just, you're doing it all. And it's going to be super memorable. And we're going to go camping to a really cool place. And then we're going to do water slides and then go back. And it, the whole thing is just jam-packed. Because I've only got three weeks holidays and I'm going to make this work. We're going to just take it for all that it is. And then we finish our three weeks and we're exhausted. And I don't think men value, maybe women too, I'm just, but it's Father's Day. I don't think that men value resting. Uh, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm doing nothing. I'm resting. I don't know. Men, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm just asking you a question. Do you know how to rest with your Father in heaven? Do you know how to do that? Where it's you and your dad hanging out. What do you do? Do you go for a walk? Is there a, do you have a, a favorite chair that you sit in? Do you go for a bike ride? Do you read a book? How do you pray? One of the hardest things for me, and this has nothing to do with Debbie and everything to do with me. I don't feel bad when I work. I don't feel bad when I pray, I play. I feel really bad when I rest. I feel horrible inside because she's running around doing a million things and I'm sitting there, you know, contemplating life or something. It's just like, would you do something concrete is what I'm thinking in my head. You know what she needs me to do? She needs me to pray and she needs me to rest. And so I, she, uh, I don't, uh, so we, <laughs> I let you into our life. But uh, what I do, I, I have this phrase that I say, and it's a dumb phrase, but I've, I've thought about it. And uh, the doctor told me I have dry eyes, and so I can't put eye drops in because I can't do that. <laughs> this doesn't work. And so what I do is I tell Debbie, I'm going to go upstairs and close my eyes. Now, that doesn't mean sleeping. It might include that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Uh, what it means is that I'm going to go upstairs for 15 minutes and I'm going to close my eyes. And I really mean that. I usually don't fall asleep. I might, but I usually don't. 
And I'm just closing my eyes, and I pray in tongues, and I worship Jesus. That's what I'm doing. And I have to do that if I'm going to be a good dad. I have to, and so Debbie, God bless her, she says, do you, need to, you know, do you need to go upstairs and close your eyes? I go, yes, I do. Because <laughs> you can tell that I'm getting a little bit, there's a lot going on, and I just need a break. And it's not because I'm overwhelmed, although that might also be true. It's I need to do my job. And I have a job to do. I need to go away with my father and be with him for a minute. And that is holy, sacred time for me that I try to do multiple times. I have my devotions in the morning, but a number of times during the day, I need to go away and be with my father. I need to rest. Women, can I just say this, and I'm sorry if this is sexist or whatever. If you're married, let husbands do that. They're not withdrawing from you, they're not rejecting you, and they're not lazy, although it might, might also be true. Is they need to do that to have something to contribute. Because if they don't have a dream, they got nothing. And the only way that you get dreams is in creating space of rest. And in places of rest, you can hear the Father. But if you're busy working and accomplishing, you'll never hear the Father's voice. What I find, uh, this is uh, in Mark chapter 4 to support this. I just love this. Mark chapter 4 is describing what the kingdom of God is like. It says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man, they, this is how living with God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, get this, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So he's working hard, but he also sleeps. And when he sleeps and rests, he gets dreams. But in that place, it's all still growing. It takes faith to rest. It takes faith to take a day off. It takes, uh, it takes faith to close your eyes, to shut your eyes. It takes faith to do that. In the Old Testament, what you'll read time and again is that the men, get this, the men of the city gather at the city gate. Have you read that in the Old Testament? They gather at the city gate and then they talk about stuff. I think men don't know how to sit at the gate and talk with other men or prayerfully pull away with their father and to have that as a value. But I think it's indispensable. So my final question to you is, have you created space to rest so that you can hear your father, so that you can connect with other men and talk about something that's one step removed from being useful and just dreaming, just dreaming. I believe in our society, by and large, in conclusion, that men have forgotten how to dream. And as a result, they feel useless in the home. The best place, the only place that's maybe left for some men to dream is in the marketplace. 
It's great. I wish that they would dream about their wife and children and their generations to come that they'll never meet. I wish that they would dream about those. But men have forgotten how to dream for their families. But to father the next generation, we need to regain the call to dream with our father. And it's vulnerable because it doesn't feel very meaningful. But Jesus is our example, and he led as a son. And if you look at the living God in flesh, and what's the thing that he says again and again? I only do what I see my father doing. Father, as he approaches his death, says, I've given you, I've fulfilled your dreams. All that you've given me to do, I've done. And the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He carried on the family name. The dreams that we had before the world was created, my son is now fulfilled and he's brought glory to my name. Who talks like that anymore? But it's who Jesus is. And Jesus is remarkable because he dreamed with his father and did what he was told and carried on the family vision. Worship team, you can come forward. Let's pray together. Where communion will be here, you'll be free to receive this. Um, there'll be people on either side who would love to be able to pray for you. But whether you're a man or a woman here, whether you have biological kids or not, can I please invite us as a community to recapture knowing the dreams of your father, to hear those dreams and to be defined by them? Could we please stand together? Father, I thank you for giving me dreams. And some dreams are so vulnerable, I don't ever, I maybe tell Debbie, but I don't tell anybody else. They're too vulnerable. But you've given me dreams, and I've not forgotten. I love dreaming with you. And I ask for each person here that you would give them the courage to create space to dream with you, to dream with other men, and that this would be as great a value as work and play is. And I thank you that rest is different than play. And I pray that you would give us the peace of the Lord that allows us to pull away and to rest our eyes, to pull away, to be with our dad, and to remember again what really matters. Father, define us by your dreams. We, your children, cry out for them now. In your son's name, amen.